1: General William Barksdale of Mississippi was an important figure in his time. He was a congressman and prominent exponent of the Southern rights argument before the war. He served in the Army of Northern Virginia, from first Manassas to Gettysburg, rising to the rank of general, and becoming one of the most prominent and successful political generals of that army. But he left no memoirs or collection of personal letters. And no biographer has written his story for general readers until now. We'll talk with John Douglas Ashton, author of William Barksdale, CSA, a biography of the United States Congressman and Confederate Brigadier General. Join us for that tonight on Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu that's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ECU.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich
1: coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina not from the campus of east carolina university which is once again open for business and not from the brewster building which is being investigated for possible uh environmental hazards to the people who work there i hope hope they don't find one Uh, no instead we're coming to you from off campus but not speaking for the campus or ECU or anybody else. Likewise, my guest speaks only for himself. As always, here on Civil War Talk Radio, it is good to be back live. Uh, it's the first day of September, 2021. Season 18 of Civil War Talk Radio has just started. Second show of the new year, and uh, at ECU we're back in class. Uh, so far, uh, so far so good. After one week. Uh, the students are showing up, everybody's attending, they're wearing masks as requested. We've been through actually two weeks now of classes, and they've, uh, well, a week and a half is exactly where we are at this point. Uh, and, and so far, going all right, I'm really enjoying being back in the classroom. Teaching face-to-face is uh, much, much more satisfying than teaching online. Teaching online is not terrible, but to interact with the students and and Get a sense that you're connecting with them and have them ask questions and be able to respond. That's that's what it is about. In uh, the course of teaching on constitutional history in the 19th century, the students spent the first two, uh, the last two class days we had in the Constitution boot camp, studying the document uh, from front to back. Most of them, I would guess, reading it in its entirety for the first time, and just be in the room where all the students are engaged working in groups answering questions about the constitution helping each other figure out different things it it was uh, it's very rewarding Uh, hopefully we can stay there Uh, some students have already had to self-quarantine from contacts with people who've tested positive at least one student in one of my classes has tested positive and is going to be out for a while but we're hoping we can avoid uh, too many spikes it will be tough. Only 50% of the students on campus have bothered to get themselves vaccinated. Uh, our neighbors at Duke University down the road, all their students are 98% are vaccinated, and they still have uh, hundreds of positive cases and they're going optionally online for a couple of weeks. I hope we can avoid that. Uh, well, if COVID is the major health crisis of the, the 21st century here, The minor health crisis of the first week of September 2021, for me, is poison ivy. I did some yard work last week and didn't take appropriate precautions with long sleeves. And I am uh, paying the price now, uh, swelling and blistering and itching, uh, waking me up at night. It's uh, something nobody wants to hear about, so I'm not going to talk about it, except to say I did contact uh, doctor and he said, if you want, I can prescribe uh, a steroid, which I looked up. He didn't sound enthusiastic. So I looked it up and it's an immunosuppressant. And I just don't think that's what I want to be taking when I'm going in a room full of unvaccinated students. So uh, I may just, just have to itch along for another week or two. Keeping our minds off of such things is the return of college football wherever you are. I'm sure it's the second most important thing in your life after Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, certainly here, uh, we're getting ready. Uh, we've already got real football returning in the sense of uh, soccer. ECU women's soccer is going well. They uh, lost to number 10 South Carolina 3-1, to one, but it was a really good match. And they beat High Point last Sunday. They're playing again tomorrow. We'll see how they if they can keep it up. And the men's football team apparently is also going to start their season tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. So lots going on there. Lots going on here at Civil War Talk Radio. Next week is the uh, – we'll be be getting back to to new shows uh, like this one. John Reeves will be our guest next week. He's been on the show before. And he has a new book about the Battle of the Wilderness – On the 15th of September, David Welker will be talking to us about uh, Antietam's cornfield, Antietam's bloody turning point. We'll return to the South on the 22nd of September with Gil Hahn. His book is Campaign for the Confederate Coast, Blockading, Blockade Running, and Related Endeavors During the American Civil War. And then uh, an old uh, colleague, although I've never met him face to face. We we share some roots together. John David Smith is co-editor of a book called The Long Civil War, New Explorations of America's Enduring Conflict. More shows coming up in October. You can find out about them at www.impedimentsofwar.org. You'll find The same news at uh, the Impediments of War Facebook page. Mark Gaffney is responsible for both of those. Keeps them up to date. You can buy books from the uh, links on the website. You can also donate to the Civil War Talk Radio Book and Libation Fund. The fund continues now in, I don't know what year it is. We've been doing this, uh, raising money for not good causes, not bad causes, just for me. Uh, I use it to buy books that we talk about on the show, if necessary. Other times I use it to buy, I don't know, a membership in the Civil War Historian Society. Whatever it is, it's not tax deductible. Uh, Donate, feel good about yourself, but don't declare it on your taxes. Our guest tonight uh, is... Let's pull up the book. John Douglas Ashton, uh, author of William Barksdale, CSA, a biography of the United States Congressman and Confederate Brigadier General. Uh, Doug, are you there?
3: I uh, sure am. Hi, Jerry. Uh,
1: welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, I, I gather from our correspondence, you go by Doug rather than uh, John. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And, and do call me Jerry. That's That works for me.
3: Uh, okay, and I so, wanted to extend greetings from your neighbors north of the border.
1: Ah, well, yes, from you, you, uh, Canada. That really ties in with my very first question. Um, you are writing about uh, William Barksdale, CSA. He's a uh, uh, known for leading Mississippi troops in the Civil War. What? Um, but you're not from Mississippi. You're you're from you're, where in Canada are you located?
3: Uh, I was born and raised in Toronto and uh, currently reside in Ontario.
1: Okay. Well, i was born and raised in the Detroit area. across the river from Windsor, and uh, uh, listened to CKLW growing up, and have, have many fond connections to Ontario. Um, what what uh, what brought you into to, to writing about William Barksdale? Well,
3: uh, first of all. Uh, I grew up uh, during the uh, centennial of the Civil War. I was a 10-year-old boy in uh, 1961 and um, impressionable, and there was a proliferation of uh, books on the Civil War, television shows, movies, etc., So that's when I first became interested in the American Civil War. The first book that I uh, recall reading was the American Heritage Picture History of the American Civil War with the uh, narration written by Bruce Canton. And and those um, wonderful maps. Do you remember the maps? The
1: the bird's eye views of battles.
3: Very impressive.
1: Almost I wouldn't say every, but I'm sure a large majority of the people uh, uh of centennial memory age uh which I would include myself in just barely uh we all got started with that book that that made such an impression on so many of us so so uh Barksdale though is not the the main character in that book what what brought you to him
3: well uh, fast forward uh thirty years or Twenty-some-odd years. In 1980, I joined a Confederate reenactment group, and uh, it was comprised of Canadians as well as Americans uh, bordering around the Golden Horseshoe, you know, the Buffalo, uh, Niagara Falls area. And the uh, unit that we portrayed was the 18th Mississippi Company B Benton Rifles from Yazoo County, Mississippi. And, of course, the 18th was one of the four Mississippi regiments that Barksdale commanded in the Mississippi Brigade. So that was my introduction to uh, William Barksdale. And being inquisitive by nature, uh, I started to uh, research him and found that there had been very little uh, written about him over the years. And uh, you mentioned, that started me uh, uh, on my you road to book, uh, researching him.
1: So, how did you do that? because you say in the book, uh, you know he he left no memoirs. Uh, this spoiler alert listeners, if you don't want to know how the story ends, um, uh, but but most of us know, Barksdale was mortally wounded at Gettysburg, didn't live to write his memoirs. Uh, no collections of letters. So So how did you do research on this guy?
3: Well, um, over the years, I visited all of the uh, battlefields, um, the eastern battlefields where uh, Barksdale fought, uh, initially as colonel of the 13th Mississippi, and subsequently as the uh, brigade commander of the Mississippi Brigade. Uh, The first trip I recall making to Gettysburg was in 1962, and over the years, I've been back there probably uh, 25 or 30 times. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the uh, political career of William Barksdale as a uh, congressman, um, I researched the uh, Congressional Globe and the appendices to the Congressional Globe, and uh, they are very enlightening. Uh, those were certainly very turbulent times in the years leading up to uh, secession, um, and Barksdale was always uh, at the forefront in uh, including uh, fisticuffs on the uh, floor of Congress. And uh, they provided uh, first-hand accounts, and you could actually read uh, excerpts from the uh, various speeches and debates that Barksdale himself uttered.:
1: So he was he represented Mississippi in Congress. He wasn't born in Mississippi, though.
3: No, he was born in uh, Sperna, Tennessee. Uh, that's uh, near Nashville. And uh, he emigrated to uh, Mississippi with his uh, three other brothers uh, when he was 18 years old. He was pretty typical as far as reflecting the, the southern values and heritage. But the one thing mm-hmm. that uh, set him aside was a, a profound innate ability to uh, learn on his own, with uh, you know very little uh, formal uh, instruction, and as a result, um, he taught himself law and was admitted to the uh, lawyers bar in Columbus before he turned twenty-one.
1: Yeah, and that was not so unusual in that era. Abraham Lincoln is probably the most famous example of, of a lawyer, self-trained lawyer from that generation, but. Yeah. Uh, but but you point out he didn't have uh, Barksdale did not have uh, you know extensive formal education, but he does go on uh, to to make uh, a name for himself uh, locally. He does get uh, elected to to Congress. Uh, he did not uh, get a West Point education, unlike many Civil War generals. Did he have any military background before the war?
3: Um. He briefly served uh, in one of the uh, brigades of the 4th Division of the Mississippi Militia uh, when he was quite young. He was actually uh, elected as the inspector. But uh, that was as far as his own uh, uh, military involvement went prior to the war with Mexico. He did uh, serve for two years with the 2nd uh, uh, Mississippi Rifles. Um, you'll recall that the first Mississippi rifles were uh, commanded by uh, Jefferson Davis. Mm -hmm. Um, So he did uh, participate in uh, northern Mexico, but unfortunately he was with Zachary Taylor's army, uh, and they became an army of occupation. So for the two years that he was there, they saw no combat action at all, much to their uh, disappointment. So unlike uh, a lot of the a uh, lot of the other future leaders uh, of the Civil War who learn tactics and maneuvers that they would use during the Civil War. Uh, Barksdale, uh, the best he could do was to uh, have a rudimentary uh, knowledge of drill, uh, the arduous mm-hmm. life of the soldier, uh, an appreciation. He was elected as assistant commissary of the second Mississippi rifle. So he was responsible for procuring, storing, and distributing uh, food and supplies and tentage. So he, he gained a, a real appreciation for the importance of logistics and supply and also for military discipline, but not, nothing that, m- much hmm. on the combat side.
1: But those, of course, are, you know, the the root of the old saying, professionals talk logistics, amateurs talk tactics. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back and talk more about the uh, Civil War career of William Barksdale, CSA. Uh, he's the subject of the biography written by our guest tonight, John Douglas Ashton. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the breath, in the breath, in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience listen in as dr phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books findings and information that will inform and enhance your life journey psych up live is heard every thursday at 2 p.m eastern time 11 a.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel
0: attention veterans are you ready to be your own boss it's time to launch your own ideas into reality discover your clean writing style Gear up with Marine Corps trained motivator, Christina Silva. Christina is a positive energy promoter with a special gift in connecting with innovators. Get the Military Heroes 411 and glean from experts every week by listening to The Christina Silva Show. We're educating our veterans live on The Christina Silva Show, live at 5 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. that's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry
0: Prokopovich,
1: talking tonight with John Douglas Ashton, author of William Barksdale, CSA, a biography of the United States Congressman and Confederate Brigadier General. Uh, we talked in the first section about how uh, uh, Barksdale served in the war with Mexico uh, but was not uh, not West Point trained didn't see action there not really a military figure before the Civil War he was he did serve in Congress. Um, Doug you mentioned fisticuffs in Congress. most listeners uh, are certainly familiar with the attack on Charles Sumner uh, which which Barksdale did not participate in. But uh, you, you said you've seen accounts that mistakenly say he did take
3: part in that. Well, uh, yeah. W- one of the other motivations for writing the book, uh, when I started to research him, I found mm-hmm. that although there was very little written about him, uh, a lot of what was out there was, was obviously incorrect. Yes. And uh, if you go back to the congressional records, it's very obvious that uh, Barksdale did not participate. In the uh, caning of Sumner, it was Lawrence Kite from uh, South Carolina. But unfortunately, in 1887, Appleton's Cyclopedia of uh, American Figures uh, made an out-and-out error, and in Barksdale's biography indicated that it was Barksdale that had held uh, Sumner's friends at bay. But, uh, you know, that has been uh, run to ground since by uh, modern scholars, and uh, nice. that's just one of uh, several myths out there that are obviously incorrect.
1: Now, the, uh, the you you clearly have a, a high opinion of Barksdale. That comes through in the writing, uh, and he does appear to have many virtues. One that, that I don't get a sense he had too much of was a a sense of humor or at least ability to laugh at himself and uh, you described the one fight uh, in which Barksdale took part in in Congress and there was quite a lot of brawling in the House of Representatives uh, in the 1850s more than we uh, most people are aware of Uh, but he was in a fight in which uh, it ended up with everybody laughing at him. Uh, Can you tell us about that?
3: Well it was... Very late at night, they had been arguing over the LeCompton Constitution um, in Kansas. It was the middle of the night, and um, some of them had been imbibing. Some of them were asleep. But uh, Galusha Groh, the Republican representative, uh, walked over to the Democratic side and uh, started uh, bellowing. And uh, once again, our friend uh, Lawrence Kite took exception to that. And uh, they got into it, and uh, Barksdale and his uh, friend, uh, Reuben Davis, uh, jumped in to become peacemakers. And uh, unfortunately, their motives were uh, misunderstood, and a brawl uh, broke out. And during which, uh, Cadwallader Washburn, uh, the representative from Wisconsin, laid a uh, sock dollager on Barksdale and knocked his wig off. And apparently a lot of them didn't realize that Barksdale wore a hairpiece. And in his uh, in his panic to uh, replace it, he put it uh, back on uh, back to front. And uh, <laughs> it was just so uh, absurd that uh, they all broke out laughing, and that was the end of the brawl. Wow.
1: So it's like... Uh... Uh, someone like, you know, the, the old joke, I went to a boxing, uh, boxing a match ho- and a ho- hockey game broke out. Yeah, um, I yeah. went to the house of representatives and a hockey fight broke out. Um, yes. but,
3: uh, but Barksville, he did have a sense of humor, um, mm-hmm. but he also had a hair trigger temper and he was, uh, very sensitive to, uh, insult, whether the insults be real or perceived, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what tended to get him in so much trouble. He'd lose his temper, and then Mm -hmm. after, when things had settled down, uh, he'd reflect on it, have second thoughts, and in virtually every case, he he turned former enemies uh, into lifetime friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one exception to that the person that he couldn't find himself uh, able to forgive was uh, Jubal Early, another and that, Confederate general.
1: That um, comes up, and we'll we'll talk about that. The Battle of uh, Second Battle of Fredericksburg during the uh, Chancellorsville campaign. Uh, they 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 cross pens, not swords. Uh, they don't duel, but they they certainly argue. Um, one other misconception about uh, Barksdale that you write about in his pre-war career is the idea that he was a, a uh, secessionist fire eater—that he was a strong advocate for secession. Uh, you say that's a misconception.
3: It, it is, and uh, you know, my motivation, part of which uh, for the book was to set the record straight on these things. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the popular misconception of Barksdale is that he was a a fire-eater. He's been labeled that in countless different articles. Um, A true fire-eater was one who uh, constantly espoused uh, the breakup of the country, Mm -hmm. whereas a Southern radical, uh, although they espoused states' rights, they did not uh, necessarily champion Southern independence. And that's where Barksdale stood. He was a bit of an anomaly. Uh, He was very much for the Union, but at the same time, he felt that under the Constitution, uh, peaceable secession was permitted, although he didn't feel things were bad enough to invoke it. So you find that during his political career, at times... He would be with the unionist wing of the Democratic Party, and at other times he would be with the uh, states' rights uh, wing of the Democratic Party. But he he maintained his position; he never changed his values throughout his life. Yes. But um, and and on the floor of Congress, he made his position crystal clear. He said that I have never been in favor of disunion. But should the black Republican Party gain control of the government, then I will be for disunion or secession. And and that's exactly what happened.
1: So when secession occurs, uh, starting 1860 and 1861, uh, when Mississippi declares itself out of the union, uh, he Obviously, uh, you know, wants to serve. Uh, he ends up uh, eventually getting a military role with the 13th Mississippi Regiment, and uh, just because there's there's a lot here, we'll we'll jump ahead to uh, first battle of Bull Run, where he he sees action for the first time. Uh, it, the it, uh, how my impression is that the, the battle went reasonably well. Uh, from his point of view, and certainly the Confederate forces won the battle, but in the aftermath, uh, his regiment marches from the Manassas area up to Leesburg, Virginia, on the Potomac River, and uh, things go very badly for him. What 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 went wrong on that march?
3: Well, going well. It was um, what one of the major influences on his life uh, back mm-hmm. even when he was a child what was disease. He lived through Hmm. the cholera epidemics in Murfreesboro. And uh, during the uh, service with the war in Mexico, uh, 40% of the uh, second Mississippi rifles uh, died or were uh, removed from the service due due to disease. And Barksdale himself very nearly died from a severe case of the uh, measles. But his friend, the surgeon uh Dr. Love had studied this and he maintained that uh the uh, level of death from disease was inversely proportional to the degree of intemperance. In other words, if you drank enough intoxicating liquor, you could ward off these diseases. And in the aftermath of uh of the Battle of Bull Run, uh There was a severe epidemic, uh, so much so that the uh, 13th Mississippi uh, had to suspend drill because they didn't have enough people. So on the march to Leesburg, uh, I think with Dr. Love's words echoing in his ears, he became uh, beastly drunk. And during that time, he insulted the officers and men of the regiment and actually accused them of being thieves. And uh, as a result, uh, he was arrested by uh, Shanks Evans, the commander of the brigade, and uh, ultimately uh, was forced to endure a court of inquiry.
1: The idea that drinking reduces disease is actually, uh, you know, statistically. uh, That Dr. Love, who, who told him that in Mexico. Uh, certainly couldn't have been wrong given how much disease was transmitted by water uh, you know cholera certainly uh, could could be uh, you know you could get that from from bad water and certainly in the Civil War bad water uh, led to a lot of, of illness so drinking alcohol was actually safer there were, more alcohol was drunk in the 1830s per capita than any other time in American history I think Uh mm-hmm. And it was largely because of unsafe water supplies. So, so he's not wrong necessarily, but uh, it obviously had a bad effect when he drank too much and uh, insulted his, his, his men. The, you describe the Battle of Ball's Bluff that follows, October 1861, and uh, he performs well there. But you've also mentioned that he was uh, acquainted with Jefferson Davis, who by this time is, of course, president of the Confederate uh, States. What Was it his friendship with Davis that got him out of this trouble? Was it his performance at Ball's Bluff? Was it both of them together? What do you think?
3: Um, well, Davis did him a favor, uh, either knowingly or unknowingly, by ordering the Court of Inquiry because it took some time to put that together. And in the interim, the Battle of uh, Leesburg or Ball's Bluff occurred. And uh, Barksdale, he had a a quasi-independent command there because he was uh, guarding the back door at Edwards Ferry and uh, performed exceedingly well. And when the men saw that and the uh, officers and so forth, uh, they, they figured, well, we'll be a lot better off with Barksdale than without him. And uh, ultimately all was forgiven.
1: So he, he stays in the Army. Uh, he serves in the Peninsula Campaign. He eventually gets uh, command of the Mississippi Brigade when the uh, brigade commander uh, becomes a casualty at Savage Station. And uh, you describe him fighting at the Battle of Malvern Hill, which... Uh, you suggest sort of presages what will happen a year later on the second day at Gettysburg. Uh, what 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 did he do at Malvern Hill?
3: Well, um, you'll recall that uh, it was an extremely strong uh, Union artillery position, mm-hmm. and the uh, Confederate battle plan essentially fell apart, and it was a series of piecemeal, unco- uncoordinated attacks. Uh, Barksdale, uh, that was the first time that he commanded uh, the entire brigade and uh, he actually went forth. He he always led from the front and typically he would take a position in front of the 13th, his old regiment and would lead from the front and during one of those uh, piecemeal attacks uh, the flag bearer was shot down and Barksdale as a brigadier general, picked up the flag, personally seized it himself, and advanced it under a terrific fire of artillery and infantry. And uh, that was something that Lee himself had observed, and uh, later uh, complimented uh, Barksdale in writing as, uh, as uh, performing with the uh, ultimate qualities of the soldier.
1: Your biography focuses on on Barksdale's military career, which is, you know, what what people are going to read it for. Uh, what about his personal life? Did what did he he didn't leave letters? So, do we know much about his personal life during the war years?
3: Well, essentially, uh, his younger wife uh, Narcissa she hailed from uh, West Feliciana Parish in Louisiana. They had two sons. Uh, Ethelbert and uh, Willie, and uh, Barksdale was a a loving, uh, he was described as a loving yet controlling father, but Mm -hmm. uh, Barksdale and his wife Narcissa just adored one another, and uh, they um, wrote a proliferation of letters, and unfortunately they haven't survived, Mm-hmm. Uh, two letters from Narcissa to her best friend, uh, Alcinda Janney in Leesburg, um, are the only real insights into her personality. But, uh, they were a very close-knit family, and, uh, you know, when Barksdale was mortally wounded at Gettysburg, uh, his last words and thoughts, uh, were of his wife and family. And, uh, although he regretted leaving everyone, he said particularly, uh, um losing uh the boys will lose their father. And uh, that was his, his biggest regret. He he didn't uh he didn't begrudge uh, his service to the Confederacy and uh he um uh, he bemoaned the fact that he wouldn't be able to lead his men uh you know beyond Gettysburg. But uh yeah, he was a, a loving father and they were a very close knit family. So
1: he he didn't get a chance to see them much during the war, uh, obviously. Uh, he did get a chance to be transferred to Mississippi, uh, but he turned it down.
3: Yeah, that was one of the real gems of my research. Uh, that was amongst the uh, papers of Jefferson Davis. Following the Battle of Fredericksburg, uh, Barksdale was granted a leave of absence. And on his way back uh, to Fredericksburg, he stopped in at Richmond, and Davis made that offer to him to uh, afford him a transfer back to Mississippi where he would be closer uh, to his family. And uh, Barksdale demurred, thought it over for almost a week, and finally uh, formally declined it in a letter. And I include um, that uh, that, uh, response in the book. Uh, He said simply that he'd been through too much with the uh, Mississippi Brigade and that he couldn't bear to leave them. Uh, They didn't want him to leave and, uh, you know, they would face their future together. I think he also felt that they were getting closer to perhaps, you know, gaining the ultimate victory to win the war. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to abandon his uh, troops. Uh, He was very much a father figure to his soldiers. Like he he was, uh, at the time he died, he was just shy of his 42nd birthday. And the uh, the soldiers in his uh, brigade tended to all be young men, you know, in their early 20s. Sure, they they,
1: they obviously looked up to to him.
3: Yes. Pardon? Well, let,
1: we'll talk about that one victory that uh, that might have occurred in our final segment. We'll come back in just a moment after taking a short break. We're talking tonight with John Douglas Ashton, author of William Barksdale, CSA: A Biography of the United States Congressman and Confederate Brigadier General. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is
0: Civil War
1: Talk Radio.
0: Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voice we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network wherever you go in addition to listening live you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts discover new talk show personalities add shows to your list of favorites and listen to all of our show archives on demand all from your ios amazon kindle or android device Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. that's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back
1: to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Doug Ashton, author of William Barksdale CSA, a biography of the United States Congressman and Confederate Brigadier General. Uh Barksdale led the Mississippi Brigade uh, at Antietam. You, you describe how uh, his troops helped capture Harper's Ferry, uh, taking Maryland Heights, capturing the 126th New York Regiment, uh, and then fighting at Antietam in the West Woods. But it's at the Battle of Fredericksburg in December 1862 where Barksdale really uh, stands out in front of the whole army. What what was unique about Barksdale's role at
3: Fredericksburg? Well, his uh, brigade uh, was selected to picket the uh, town. Um, they were expecting a, a Union crossing and uh, an attack. So uh, Barksdale established his headquarters at the uh, the town hall or the marketplace. Uh, it's on a, a rise where he had a Essentially, a 360-degree uh, view of the uh, riverfront, and uh, that's where he uh, marshaled his uh,
2: his reserves.
3: But um, it it uh, really hadn't been done before opposing a, a river crossing uh, with the pontoon bridges, and ultimately an amphibious crossing in the boats themselves. So he had to come up with the game plan to defend against this. And instead of fighting his units um, in close order formations with volley fire, he decided to have his soldiers operate as individual sharpshooters. Uh, Technically, they weren't sharpshooters, but they were very good shots. And he would uh, deploy them in, in small groups of three or four clustered here and there. And as it turned out, it was a very effective way of preventing that uh, completion of the pontoon bridging. Uh, He actually, uh, his his troops actually uh, stopped nine separate crossing attempts. And then with the amphibious crossing, when the the Union troops finally uh, established a bridgehead and started to proceed through the town... He had also uh, engineered um, a street defense, and it was really the first case of large-scale urban warfare uh, in North America. And uh, he fought them house to house, defended house to house, uh, through the streets of Fredericksburg. Uh, His commander, um, Lafayette McClaws, actually ordered him to uh, retreat but, uh, because it was still light and over open ground, uh, Barksdale, uh, not one to always observe authority, crumpled up the order, stuck it in his pocket, and and they fought on until a darkness came, at which point uh, they uh, retreated to the uh, the uh, Confederate lines. but it, it was really uh, military first. Uh, from start to finish for the uh, Mississippi
1: Brigade in Barksdale. So this is a moment when the American Civil War looks more like Stalingrad than like Waterloo uh, troops Mm -hmm. uh, fighting house to house instead of fighting in long lines in the open. Uh, Fredericksburg is also the scene of of, the Second Battle of Fredericksburg, which is part of the Chancellorsville campaign, when Lee and Jackson are staging their their attack on Hooker, Around the Chancellor House, the Confederates are still occupying Fredericksburg uh, as a rear guard, and there's there's uh, Barksdale again. This you mentioned this earlier. This is where Early General Jubal Early and Barksdale uh, fall out. Uh, What were they fighting about after this battle?
3: Well, um, Lee only left the uh, one division. Um, That's Early, and he was the overall commander and Lee specifically requested that uh, Barksdale Brigade uh, actually picket the town and defend the crossings once again. Um, right from the outset, uh, Barksdale and and Early differed on, uh, on their defense plan. Barksdale felt very strongly that as at the first battle of Fredericksburg, the Union would attack at the Marie Heights sector, Whereas uh, Early believed that uh, they would cross and concentrate their attack uh, at the Hamilton Crossing area down on uh, the river uh, further south, and they they argued and bickered back and forth on this as, as events unfolded. Uh, it turned out that Barksdale was correct and Early was wrong. Um, Barksdale constantly. Uh, Asked for reinforcements, and uh, before the attack, and uh, early only gave him uh, Hayes Louisiana Brigade. So um, as events unfolded, you know, whereas that sunken road sector at the first battle of of uh, Fredericksburg had been defended by several brigades, um, at the second battle of Fredericksburg, that sector was only held by uh, the 18th Mississippi and a few companies from the 21st Mississippi. So ultimately, it was just uh, a, uh, a question of numbers, and uh, the Union actually broke through uh, Barksdale's line and, and forced a retreat.
1: Now, that, that retreat stuck in the, the craw of the Mississippi Brigade because then the following month at, at Gettysburg, uh, on the second day of the battle and Longstreet's preparing his his big attack that will go towards Little Round Top and everyone listening knows uh, the story of the uh, 20th Maine and the Hood's Division attacking there. But next to Hood's Division is McClaw's and Barksdale's Brigade and uh, they've got this uh, memory of being pushed out of Maria's Heights and they want to get theirs back. Uh, the attack on the second day by by Barksdale's Brigade is largely successful. drives the Union out of the Peach Orchard, breaks the line on the Emmitsburg Road, uh, but it doesn't win the battle. Uh, Why not?
3: Well, um, in my opinion, uh, the reason for that is the fact that uh, contrary to the original game plan of attacking uh, with one brigade behind the other, Barksdale was to go in and he was to be supported by Wofford's Georgia Brigade. Uh, It Mm -hmm. was a large brigade, 1630 men and um, although that was the original game plan, um, during the fog of battle um, Wofford's Brigade uh, went straight down the uh, Wheatfield Road instead of uh, turning to the uh, left uh, going northward and supporting Barksdale. So Barksdale's men fought ferociously and uh, actually broke through the Union infantry line, uh, which only left uh, McGilvery's cobbled-together uh, artillery uh, line. So there were several batteries there, but there was no infantry to support them. And uh, unfortunately, by that time, uh, Barksdale's uh, brigade was fought out, uh, had... Had Wofford and his Georgians been right behind them, uh, I think it would have been a totally different outcome. And uh, if there had been a breakthrough and the start of a Union panic, uh, who's to say that that wouldn't have spurred uh, Anderson's brigade of Hill's Corps to a a much older uh, support further to the north? Uh, Anderson only attacked with three of his five brigades. And uh, I think if, uh, if Barksdale and, and Wofford had pushed through the uh, Union line, perhaps the entire uh, division of Anderson would have poured through. And who's to say what would have happened then?
1: Well, this is certainly the, the climactic point uh, of, of your, your story and, of course, the climax of Barksdale's life. This is the, the moment when he is, in fact, mortally wounded. Uh, the Brigade's casualties, uh, how, how heavy were the casualties in the Mississippi Brigade that day? Uh,
3: the three, the three uh, regiments that turned north with Barksdale, uh, they were well over 50%. Wow. Um, the 21st Mississippi that went straight through the uh, Peach Orchard and uh, rolled up the Union artillery line, uh, their uh, casualties were, were lowered about 30%. But uh, yeah, Barksdale's uh, brigade suffered the uh, the highest loss of of any of the Confederate brigades on July second, which indicates, yeah, I, I think, the ferocity of the of the fight they put up.
1: Well, it's it's certainly a, a dramatic story uh, that, that you give there as as, as as Barksdale and his men try to break that line, and and we talked. to Earlier about uh, his last words after being wounded, he lies and is on the field and is captured, uh, and dies in a Union military hospital. The uh, it, it takes uh, several years before his body is repatriated to Mississippi, and after that, he passes out of uh, the public view to a large extent. Uh, there are there any statues of him anywhere?
3: Uh, no, uh, that, that, that's one of the uh, the tragic parts to his story. He he never received the credit uh, he was due that his accomplishments merited. Um, at the time of the end of the Civil War, his, his soldiers all felt that there would be a monument uh, sometime at Gettysburg, and that his uh, effigy would would be uh, put on it. But uh, as it turned out, the the Mississippi Monument uh, shows two of his Barksdale's boys, so I think he would have been at peace with that. Um, The stone carving at uh, Stone Mountain, the initial uh, um, intent was to have figures from each of the Confederate states on there, and Barksdale had been selected to represent Mississippi, but that didn't happen. And then finally, um, in Columbus, uh, the Lowndes County uh, Courthouse, they were supposed to put a, uh, a monument up. They'd actually collected about $1,600 for it, and it was to have a uh, <clears throat> Confederate soldier on the top and around the base the four generals from uh, Lowndes County, Mississippi. But when that finally came into being, it was... uh a flag bearer on top and and two uh, two uh, Confederate soldiers at the base. So uh, no, he he never did get uh, a statue.
1: And I, I was surprised to learn even his his grave is not even marked.
3: No, um, we we know that it's in uh, his brother Ethelbert Barksdale's um, plot, and. Uh, Harris Barksdale who was his nephew and was on uh, General Barksdale's staff is buried there but uh, Narcissa Barksdale the general's wife had a falling out with uh, his uh, brother her her brother-in-law and uh, at at the time uh, of the uh, end of the war Narcissa became impoverished um, and she couldn't afford to put a monument up for him and uh, likely, due to the falling out with uh, his brother, Ethelbert, she wasn't willing to have him put one up. Or it may simply have been that, you know, in the years of the uh, following the Civil War, that, uh, you know, the uh, the government and the Republicans wouldn't permit them to put anything up on it or honoring the Confederates.
1: So... The, uh, the the memory of Barksdale uh, survives, as you pointed out, among community of people who read military history and the Civil War, but not uh, much elsewhere. Uh, that can change for those who read this book, William Barksdale, C.S.A., a biography of the United States Congressman and Confederate Brigadier General. Uh, its author, John Douglas Ashton, has been our guest tonight. Doug, thanks so much for being on Civil War Talk Radio.
3: Well, thank you, Jerry. I've really enjoyed our uh, conversation.
1: And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.